You are listening to ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Physicians know all too well how the United States struggles to control the cost and increase access to our healthcare system. Individual states are taking matters into their own hands and changing their healthcare systems. What are they doing and how would it impact physicians and their patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me is former Colorado Governor Richard D. Lamb, Center for Public Policy and Contemporary Issues at the University of Denver, and author of two books, Brave New World of Healthcare and Condition Critical, A New Moral Vision for Healthcare. Governor Lamb and I are discussing the different healthcare systems in two states and its impact on physicians and patients. Governor Lamb, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me. Not all medicine is created equal. What part of the healthcare system is mandated by the federal government and what part by the state? Well, the um, Medicare is totally a federal program administered by the federal government. Medicaid is a partnership. Two-thirds of it is paid for by the federal government, a third by the state. Medicaid, of course, has to do with the medically indigent plus categories like people on kidney dialysis and other few specialized diseases. But I think that your more cosmic question, as you pointed out in your introduction, what should be the role of the federal government or the people that are pushing for change? Do, who do you push? Do you push the federal government or do you push the states? The federal government has been the government solution of choice. It was for Hillary Clinton. It was for the single-payer people. But what's happening recently is um, what is sort of called uh, federalism. Our whole system is built around the fact that 50 states can and should be innovators, the idea that states are be laboratories of change. And we've ignored that. And my generation of public policymakers has sort of pushed for things at a federal level. And now, all of a sudden, you're coming into a sort of this new um, political effort where people are really looking and taking seriously states and um, are looking at what the role of the states can be in innovating healthcare systems. And uh, as you point out, Massachusetts and Oregon are two examples. So before we dive into the details of each state's policy, how is it that they came to this policy within their state borders? What got it started and who were the catalysts for this? In both cases, there were a real role of a governor. Uh, a governor can be a real political leader. John Kitzhaber in Oregon um, was in the, actually the president of the state senate when he initiated the beginnings of the Oregon health priority system, and then he followed it up as governor, and he's still following it up over in Oregon. We can talk more about that. And in um, Massachusetts, a um, conservative Republican governor, Mitt Romney, um, b- uh, worked with a Democratic uh, liberal uh, legislature and they sat down around a table and they worked it out where elements of both sort of the conservative agenda and the um, liberal agenda you can find in the Massachusetts system. One of the senators said at the bill signing, he said, anytime you get the Heritage Foundation and Families USA supporting the same piece of legislation, it certainly shows one of them hadn't read the legislation, meaning that how could they get together on this? But they did. And so um, in Massachusetts, you have a system where individuals are mandated to have health insurance, but the state plays a role in helping them get that health insurance and subsidizing it. So give us some details about 
what's going on in Massachusetts, and could it be a model for the rest of the country? I believe that in the states generally, Massachusetts is looked at as the model for the next doable phase of health care. In Massachusetts, individuals are mandated. You have everybody that files an income tax has to file a certificate uh, showing what their health care choice is. I might also mention that Switzerland does this and does it very successfully. In Switzerland, for a long period of time, what happens every year is people in Switzerland, every, every family sits down and they look at the alternative systems that are available to them and they make a choice. Switzerland has uh, a number of state interventions at the canton or state level. They do help keep health care costs under control, but the concept is important. And that's the fact that individuals are the ones that decide what system they're going to go into. And in Massachusetts, they pioneered this. In this country, they pioneered it anyway. And a number of other states are looking to the same thing. And what kind of choices do Massachusetts state residents have? Do they pick from what we normally pick from at our employees, a PPO, an HMO, and a regular insurance? Or do they have more choices than that? Well, it depends on where they live somewhat, because your choice of health care system is certainly somewhat geographically uh, based. So in my understanding of it is in Boston, you would have more options than you would if you're in rural Massachusetts. But everybody's got a series of choices. What happens is, and what made Massachusetts work, is Massachusetts started out with only 6% of their population uninsured, whereas the rest of the country it's 16% uninsured. So Massachusetts started out with an advantage of not having as many uninsured. They figured they had about 370,000 people uninsured. This, this new law went into effect only the, the first of this month, so it's last July, and they found that uh, 135,000 people took advantage of the law before the law even became into effect. So uh, it really worked in Massachusetts. They're starting to work. Now, the question is, is whether or not it's adequately funded, and that's going to be a question that has to be answered in the future. How are they going to find the money to cover all of those underinsured or uninsured people? Well, that's a key question, and what they've done is they've taken a lot of their Medicaid money, they've taken what is known as the disproportionate share money that goes to hospitals that treat the medically indigent um, in a lot of our, our states, and they have put that available to people through health insurance rather than subsidizing large public hospitals. You're going to get a lot of argument about that here in, for instance, Denver, where Denver Health and Hospitals play such a key role in our medically indigent. But in Massachusetts, they say, look, if everybody has health insurance, we're not going to have any medically indigent people, theoretically anyway. Um, and Although Massachusetts doesn't cover people that are illegally in the country, um, so they, they also have to have some sort of uh, emergency backup system. But the theory is that everybody in Massachusetts will be covered by one form of health care or another. So I know it just started recently, but what do you think the impact's going to be on physicians in Massachusetts? Well, there's going to be more and more pressure on um, both hospitals and physicians as these large uh, insurance companies gain more power uh, and bargaining chips in the marketplace. So let's compare what's going on with Massachusetts with what's happening in Oregon. What's the name of their health care system and how does it work? Well, the real innovation in Oregon, and they're not really comparable. In Massachusetts, the goal was to um, 
get everybody into the system. In Oregon, it started out that way. Uh, the original Oregon system uh, was going to apply to everybody, uh, including private health insurers and employers. But in Oregon, it only got as far as Medicaid. So in Oregon, it's a limited part of the population, the Medicaid population, which the critics say, well, it's always easy to beat up on poor people. But I think the principle is very important in Oregon. What they said is they started out with the assumption that we've invented more health care than we can afford to deliver to everyone, and that we're going to have to set some priorities. And so what they did is set up a, um, a, a Oregon health commission that looked at and prioritized all of the things we can do in health care. And they came up with some priorities. And then the legislature every year looks among those 740 priorities that the commission came up with and said, look, we can fund good basic health care, but we can't fund uh, certain high technology, high cost procedures. And so the theory in Oregon is so expressed by Governor Kitzhaber was we want to give everybody in the tent, even if it means thinning the soup. So they want to get everybody in the health care tent having available good basic health care. And if they have to thin the soup, i.e. not be able to deliver everything, that's the price they feel that they have to pay. How long has the Oregon experiment been going on? Again, an important question, because a lot of people will say the Oregon experiment has failed, and I think that it has. It started in 1987 with the beginning of the prioritization system. They then set up the Oregon Health Services Commission, I think something like that, which started prioritizing and looking at how do we make priorities in health care. And it's run into some problems. It has run into some problems with the federal government who has what is known as the maintenance of effort regulation, which means that they've been able to expand more things that they can pay for under the Oregon system, but they've not been able to take many things off of the table. But the principle, I think, is really important in Oregon. And at least five other countries, Finland, the Netherlands, um, I can't give you the full list right now, but have really also set up health priorities commissions. And they all, I think, recognize the reality of the new world we're moving into. They all recognize that they can't pay for everything. They can pay for a lot and that they're going to have to, at the margin, sort of ask what is really important to do in health care and what are we going to have to just leave undone. So when you say health care priority systems, you're talking about rationing, right? I'm talking about rationing. No matter how you, um, you know, how, however you purse that word, it's, it means rationing. In your opinion, do you think the states should have the ability to identify their own health care systems, and is that a good thing for the United States? I believe that there is, in the next phase of American sort of uh, federalism, um, it's a good thing. I believe that if you would have a number of experimentation at the state level, none of us know know really what to do in health care. And I believe that uh, if sort of let a thousand flowers bloom, that if you would have 10, 15, 20 states all innovating in healthcare, we're all going to be wiser for it. Now, the ultimate answer to your question is remains to be seen. Whether or not that will be satisfactory, whether that will be the ultimate solution, generally countries come up with some national system. And I think that in this country, the business community all over is now being so pushed by healthcare costs that they are much more open to look at some sort of national system. But that's the beauty of the state experimentation, because none of us know what to do in healthcare care completely. 
not of in fact of most of us um, are very anxious to see more experimentation in healthcare to know how much more can we make the market work how can we really set fair priorities in a transparent way I think that some level of state experimentation is not only necessary, but is actually will, will help us in the long run. Where you live may determine even more how you practice medicine in the future. Will the federal government step in and mandate changes, or will the states continue to test different health care systems? I want to thank our guest, Governor Richard Lamb, for helping us to better understand these issues and the impact they have on physicians and our patients. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.